There's a book in the Bible where the name of God is never mentioned. It's the book of Esther. But even though God's name is mentioned nowhere in this book, you sense his presence everywhere, controlling what happens. It's like a dollhouse where the top has been removed and some big father can lean in, move the people around, rearrange the furniture, and do anything he wants. That huge father nowhere appears in the dollhouse, yet he controls everything that happens. That's how it is in the book of Esther. You don't see or hear God there, but you sense his presence dominating everything. This morning, you will hear the story of Esther through the eyes of one of the minor characters of the book. The man is on the palace staff, an attendant to the king. He's on the inside. He knows everything that's going on. How would this man, who never hears the name of God, and yet sees everything that happens, view it? What sense would he make out of it all? Hello. My name is Harbona. I serve the king. King Xerxes. King Xerxes has been king of Persia for quite some time. He took over from his father, the most powerful Darius. And in the time that Xerxes has been king of Persia, much good has happened. But this much I must tell you, Xerxes, he is very volatile. Xerxes likes his wine and he enjoys parties. And it seems like when he's had one too many glasses of wine, or in some cases five too many glasses of wine, he can make some very, very foolish decisions. The reason I'm here today is to tell you of a series of events that have happened lately that have really confounded many of us. We've watched these events, we've watched them unfold, and we can't believe the coincidences that are happening. It all happened when the king decided to throw a six-month party. And I'm talking the party of all parties. For a full 180 days, all of the kingdom celebrated. And at the end of that six-month party, Xerxes decided to hold a one-week festival for those who were closest to him. And in the midst of his wine and in the midst of his exuberance, he decided that this would be a great time for his beautiful, beautiful queen, Queen Vashti. She is lovely. She is gorgeous. And Xerxes decided it would be a great idea for her to get down into her underwear and to march in front of all the people that had assembled. Well, I had to go and ask Vashti if she was ready for this parade, and Vashti said, enough is enough, I won't go. At that, I became very, very afraid. Because one thing about King Xerxes, one thing about the kingdom of Persia that you must know, when the king makes a proclamation, it will happen. When the king makes a request, there's no negotiation. So I went back to Vashti and I said, Vashti, you are lovely. Vashti, you are beautiful. Vashti, you will be well received. Will you please go? And she said, no. We had to go and deliver the message to Xerxes. And Xerxes was high in spirits. And at first he thought maybe he didn't understand what we were saying to him. But eventually he understood the queen had said no to his request. He didn't know what to do. Such a thing had never happened in the kingdom before. So he called together several advisors, men much smarter than I, and he said, what are we to do? The queen has refused the king's request. And after much consultation, it was decided that Vashti 
could no longer be queen. She could no longer sit next to Xerxes on the throne. Because she decided that she would not honor his request, her days of ruling with Xerxes were over. Well, I wish I could tell you that that was a great decision. I wish I could tell you that Xerxes was very happy, but in reality, Xerxes became very depressed. He became very moody. And one thing that I have learned serving King Xerxes for all of these years is that when he's in one of those moods, I try to stay away from him. I just try to go with the flow. I try to be as helpful as I can, but I really try to keep my distance. But day after day, week after week, month after month, Xerxes grew into a deeper depression. So several of us gathered together and we said something must be done. Xerxes needs another queen. Xerxes didn't want to hear of it. I think he was very remorseful for deposing Vashti. But after much encouragement, we decided that we would have a, a contest. We would have a gathering of all the beautiful women in Persia. And for several months, they would be in training for this great honor. And one by one, they would go in front of the, queen, go in front of the king hoping to become the next queen of Persia. Well, I have to tell you, men especially, there are many beautiful women in Persia. Many beautiful women in Persia. And I knew that this was going to be something that we would all be very excited about. And one by one, after months of preparation, these beautiful women paraded in front of the king, and then she caught his eye. She was beautiful, maybe even more beautiful than Vashti. I looked at her and I thought to myself, she doesn't seem to be Persian, but who really cares? She's beautiful. Xerxes is perked up a little bit. And before you know it, this beautiful young girl by the name of Esther had become queen. I thought to myself, that settles it. King Xerxes will be happy once again. He now has a beautiful queen by his side. All is well. Well, that evening, something diabolical happened. There was a very religious man. His name was Mordecai. He was a Jew. And he spent much of his time hanging out by the city gate. He was very serious about prayer, very, very serious about his faith. Maybe a little over the top if you ask me personally, but as he was praying, as he was at the gate, he heard the unthinkable. He heard the unspeakable. Two of the men that were closest to the king were plotting his assassination. They wanted Xerxes to die. And this very devout religious man, Mordecai, for some reason was able to go and see the queen. For some reason, Esther, the beautiful queen, was able to visit with Mordecai, and Mordecai shared the conspiracy. Esther immediately went to the king and said, you won't believe it. And the two conspirators were caught, they were hanged, and the hero of the day was Mordecai, the very religious Jewish man. 
Now, as this was unfolding, I thought to myself, Mordecai is really going to be blessed because of this. He's really going to get a reward of all rewards because of this. But Xerxes, I don't know if it was the battles that were ongoing or the stress of ruling such a large, large province, 127 different areas within the kingdom of Persia. But Xerxes did absolutely nothing to honor Mordecai, the Jew. I thought to myself, that is very strange. Well, Mordecai the Jew, not only was he very devout in his faith, not, not only was he very, very committed to his religion, but he was also part of the civil council of the day. You may not know what that is, but all the different nationalities, all the different religions had an individual that was a part of this council, and when an issue arose... When a problem came to the attention of advisors close to the king, if it was something too nominal to take to the king, it would go to the council. Well, in the land during this time, there was a man by the name of Haman. And I have to just tell you this morning, this isn't very nice, but I didn't like Haman. Haman was just downright mean. He was just despicable. And what I saw unfolding over a period of several years is this, this evil, vile Haman would cut people's legs out from underneath him. He would do whatever he could to, to get another notch up the ladder of prominence. And by the time this council was in full-blown meeting, Haman had become second in command of the entire kingdom. I don't get it. I wanted to speak to Xerxes, but don't forget, I'm the go-with-the-flow kind of guy. Well, one day Haman walked into the, the civil council and it had been relayed to the council that, that, that Haman was now second in command of the entire kingdom. And everyone in the council rose. And they bowed down to Haman. Everyone except Mordecai, the Jew. He refused to rise. He refused to bow down. And Haman didn't like it one bit. I have to tell you, being the go-with-the-flow kind of guy that I am, I didn't understand it. I thought to myself, Mordecai, get up, bow down, and be on your way. But one of my friends told me, who was very close to Mordecai, that Mordecai was so passionate about his faith, he was so committed to what he called the Lord is God, that he followed all the laws of their holy book. He knew them all, he read them all, he followed them all. And it said in their holy book, you shall have no other gods before me. So he refused to bow down. This went on, not for a day or not for a week, but for several weeks this went on. And Haman, that evil man, got angrier and angrier and angrier when he decided that he was going to get revenge on Mordecai the Jew. He decided at that point that if he wouldn't voluntarily rise and bow down to him, he would exact incredible revenge upon him. So one day, when Xerxes was in the just kind of mood that Xerxes could be in, just kind of unhappy, just kind of pouty in many ways, Haman came in and he said, King, you won't believe this, but there is a, a, an individual of prominence in the land. There's an individual that's part of a people that refuses to honor you. They refuse to acknowledge that you are the great Xerxes. And if we don't act now, it might be too late. 
Now, if I'm Xerxes and I'm sitting around, I want more details. If I'm Xerxes, I want to know what exactly are you talking about. But he tells Haman to go devise a plan to deal with such of it. And the next day, Haman comes back and listen to this plan. I brought it on my scroll this morning. This is Haman's plan. Haman said that because this people, the Jews, refused to worship the king, refused to bow to those in prominence, he is proposing that in 11 months, we will destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. Young and old, women and children, on December the 13th, and we will confiscate their property. Did you hear that? Destroy, kill, and annihilate? That's over the top. Even more, Haman said that he would put a large amount of his own personal money into the project. I'm thinking at this point, Xerxes is going to want more details. But Xerxes just looked at Haman. He said, the plan sounds good to me. And oh, by the way, you keep your money, Haman. I'll pay for the plan. Well, the days after the edict was announced was a, a very sad time in Susa. Very sad time in Persia. Many of the Jews were sad to the point of tears. They were fearful for their lives. They knew the clock was ticking. They only had 11 months left until this decree became reality. And one thing you need to know about life in Persia, when the king makes a decree, there's no going back on it. When the king makes a decree, it will happen. And nobody took the news harder than Mordecai, the Jew. He put on sackcloth. And he sat by the city gate. And he wailed in a loud, loud voice for his God to rescue him. For his God to rescue his people. Well, I looked at this and I said, this can't continue on. It's not good for tourism. It's not good for all that's going on in the land. And I started actually to make my way out to Mordecai the Jew and try to console him and try to have him put some clothes on when I came across Hattach. Hattach, one of the attendants of Queen Esther, was going on behalf of Queen Esther for exactly the same purpose. And I thought to myself, Hattach, why, why is the queen worried about Mordecai? Why would the queen care at all about someone that she doesn't even know? And Hattach had a kind of a sly grin on his face, and he said, there's much more to the story. Just wait. So I waited. He went, and he sat down, and he pleaded with Mordecai. He says, the queen has brought you these clothes. Please dress up, splash some water on your face, look a little nicer, uh, go through life as if everything's okay. But Mordecai said, I can't do it because everything is not okay. Tell the queen I must speak with her. I thought to myself, that's a bit presumptuous. That's just a little bit over the top. Here you are, just this ordinary person, and you want a sitting with the queen? Such a thing could get you killed if Xerxes was in one of his moods. But Hatach pulled me over and he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, I've uncovered two interesting tidbits of information. The first thing you need to know is that the queen, Esther, was not born with the name Esther. Her given name was the name Hadassah, 
And she, in fact, is Jewish. I couldn't believe it, but it made sense. She didn't look Persian after all. But the second thing that Hatach mentioned to me was this. Not only was the queen Jewish, but she was actually related to Mordecai. Mordecai was her uncle, and he had in fact raised her as his own daughter because her mother and father died at a very young age when Hadassah was just a child. And so I thought to myself, this is a problem. This is a conundrum. What's going to happen? Well, it just so happens that Mordecai spent some time with Hadassah, Queen Esther, And Esther said, look, Mordecai, I'd like to do what I could, but Xerxes is in one of those moods. He hasn't even spoken to me for a month. How can I go to him and tell him that I'm Jewish? How can I go to him and tell him that he's been set up? But Mordecai would not let it go. And I'll never forget the words that he shared with the queen. They've really stuck with me. He said, who knows, Queen Esther? That God didn't put you in such a situation for such a time as this. Now I've got to tell you, religions come, religions go. In Persia, we're very tolerant people. You can believe anything you want to believe. But these Jewish people, they're radical about their faith. They've, they've really got a great history. If you are history majors, you know that they've had some great kings in the past. Kings like David, he slayed a nine-foot Goliath. Kings like Solomon, when Solomon was king, their, their kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, was ginormous. It was almost kind of like Persia in many ways. But those days were so many decades and centuries past. See, now these Jewish people, they're on the run. They don't even have a land. They don't even have their own city. They've been overrun. And maybe, just maybe, they will be no more come December the 13th. Well, I could tell that Esther would not let it go. I could tell that Mordecai's words had really gotten to her. So the next morning, she made herself up. She dolled herself up, and she looked as gorgeous as I'd ever seen her look. In fact, she looked as gorgeous as anyone had ever looked. And she decided that she was just going to walk into the royal sitting room and be in the presence of the king. And just like I couldn't believe how good she looked, Xerxes couldn't believe how good she looked. He was reading the annals of the day, and he kind of did a double take, and you could just see the expression, wow, that's my queen. And Xerxes said, Esther, come near. You are so beautiful. You are so lovely in my sight. I will give you anything you want, anything you want, even up to half of my kingdom. You want to talk about an emotional response, that's an emotional response. And I'm thinking to myself, Esther, now is your time. Tell the king your story. Esther said, King, I have a request, but I won't share it with you today. Tomorrow I'm going to hold a luncheon. I'm going to make some delicious, delicious food. And I want you and your number two man, Haman, to come to the luncheon. Xerxes thought to himself, as long as there's a bottle of wine near, that sounds good to me, and it was a date. 
Well, all night long I thought to myself, Esther's really going to use this opportunity to make the most of all that's happening to her people, to all that's happening to Mordecai. And the luncheon unfolded, and I was in there. I didn't get to eat. I just had to watch them. But I'm in there. And the next thing you know, Esther says, King, I do have a request, but I can't share it with you today. Can you and Haman return tomorrow? And at this, I thought to myself, Girl, what are you doing? Now is the time. Speak up. Tell your story. But she said, No, I must wait one more day. And again, so lovely, so beautiful. So Xerxes said, So it shall be. Tomorrow noon, same place. That night, a couple of amazing events unfolded. Haman went home, and Haman threw a party at his house. And Haman decided that he wasn't going to wait till December 13th to see Mordecai be executed. He wasn't going to wait the the several months that were left to unfold. He was going to take his grievance to the king, and he was going to have Mordecai the Jew hanged tomorrow, right after the lunch. All of his friends were excited. Haman, that evil, vile, disgusting man, was finally going to get what he wanted. He had gallows constructed 75 feet high. Mordecai would not see another week. That was the plan of Haman. The second interesting thing that happened that night is that the king, he couldn't sleep. He had a case of insomnia. Now, the thing you need to understand about Xerxes is Xerxes is really good with the wine. So normally, when he lays his head down, he's out for hours. But this night, for some reason, he couldn't sleep. So he called for me. He said, Harbona, come. I was just having a great dream, but I'm there for the king. So I came in, and he said, I can't sleep. Read something to me. Maybe I'll be able to go to sleep. And I thought to myself, why not read the history of the last four or five years? Xerxes says it sounds like a plan. After about 30 minutes of reading, we came across the story of the assassination plot that had been foiled. And I told the story of how Mordecai, as he was praying, overheard the plot of two of the king's men. He took it to Queen Esther. Queen Esther took it to King Xerxes. The two diabolical diabolical plotters were hanged, and Mordecai was the hero. Xerxes kind of perked up at that point, and he said, what did we do for this Mordecai? What did we do to give him honor? I said, sir, it's not Mordecai, it's Mordecai. And we did absolutely nothing. He received no honor. Xerxes said, Harbona, tomorrow I make things right. Tomorrow, first thing, bring this Mordecai to the palace. I said, King, it's Mordecai, but I will do that. Well, the next morning, Esther was busy preparing the second lunch. And Mordecai was summoned to the palace. And the king asked, are any of... My ruling council present. And I said, well, I just ran into Haman. And he's a pretty happy camper, let me tell you. He definitely has something on his mind. And the king says, bring Haman to me. He brought him in there. It was just the king and Haman and me. And he said, Haman, I have a question for you. What should be done for someone that the king wants to honor? Someone of great prominence. Someone who has done just an incredible, great good and great gift to me the king what should i do for such a person 
Haman began to smile. He was just sure the king was talking about him. And Haman said, oh, great king, what I think I would do is I would bring your crown and put it on his head. And I would bring your robe and put it on his shoulders. And I would bring your beautiful white stallion and place such a prominent man on the stallion. And then have him paraded all through the city, shouting as loud as one can shout, this is what the king does for someone that he wants to honor. And the king said, Haman, that's a brilliant plan. I'm going to have you carry out the plan. The man I want to honor is Mordecai the Jew. At that point, Haman went from a, just a beautiful, beautiful tan face to absolutely pale white. I was smirking and laughing on the inside, but don't forget, I go with the flow. So I made sure that the events unfolded, and before long, it was Mordecai the Jew riding on the horse with the crown, with the robe, going through the city, and it was none other than Haman himself parading him through, saying, this is the man the king wants to honor. I have to tell you, I got a lot of joy out of that. I had had enough of Haman up to this point. I had no idea what was in store next. Well, Haman gets done, and I'm told that he's just distraught. He can't believe how the series of events have unfolded. He's not going to be able to execute Mordecai on that day. He may never be able to execute Mordecai on that day. And he went home, and before he even got in the door, his wife said, What are you doing, silly? You've got another luncheon at the palace. Get to Xerxes' palace now. And so Haman hurried off to the palace for this luncheon. And once again, it was the king and the queen and Haman, and I'm off in the corner. And after a delicious, delicious meal, the king looked at Esther and said, Esther, give me your request. And that Esther began to cry. King doesn't like crying, especially from those closest to him. And the king said, it's okay, Esther. Tell me your request. She said, oh, great king, I have but one request. Will you save my life? At this, Xerxes stepped back and said, save your life? Who would ever want to harm my queen? Who would ever wants to harm my wife, my Esther. And with that, Esther took her beautiful finger, so beautifully manicured, and she pointed right across the table and said it was him, Haman, evil, vile man. I have to tell you, I've seen Xerxes angry on several occasions. I've never seen him as angry as he was right there. I didn't know if he might smack Haman, or he might punch Haman, or he might find a sword and do something with the sword to Haman. But he did something that probably made a lot of sense. He decided he was so angry, he was so steamed, he was going to leave the room. He went out of the room to, to, to walk on the balcony for a while. And while he was doing that, Esther went and reclined at the couch. Now, Haman knew he was in trouble. And he knew the only way that he could save this is as Esther changed the king's mind. So he went over and he bowed down to Esther. And he began to kind of paw at her like a dog paws at his owner. And the next thing you know, the king walked back in, saw Haman pawing at his queen, at his wife. He said, will you even molest the queen in my palace? And he said, bring out the veil. 
and the veil was put over his head. See, the veil, that's the veil of death. And once the veil was put on someone's head, they were as good as dead. Xerxes was steamed. He couldn't believe that someone so close to him would do such a diabolical thing. And he said out loud, what should I do with Haman? Now, it's at this point that my prominence in the story kind of rises to the occasion. Normally, I'm Mr. Go with the flow. Normally, I'm Mr. Over in the corner. But see, that morning, I'd seen the huge gallows that had been resurrected at the house of Haman, intended for Mordecai the Jew. So I decided I'm going to go for it. And I spoke up and I said, oh, great king. There just happens to be a 75-foot gallows that's been constructed by Haman for Mordecai the Jew. And Xerxes said, Haman hangs today. Well, the story began to be told to all the people. And before long, the Jewish people, they were so excited. It was a festival and a celebration unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Mordecai the Jew, who was so close to death, had now risen in prominence to the point that the king would eventually elevate Mordecai to second in command in all of the kingdom. But Esther wasn't done. Esther said, King, what about December 13? King, what about the great edict? You must do something. Once an edict has been shared, it cannot be overturned. So Xerxes issued a second decree, a second edict. He said that on December 13th, the Jews may do whatever they need to to, to, to save themselves from people that might want to oppress them. They may use any type of force necessary. And with that, the celebration of the Jews only intensified. Later that day, I was at the second floor window in the palace. And I was thinking about all of these amazing chain of events. The fact that Esther was picked queen out of all of those beautiful girls. Mordecai, being Jewish, uh, the representative in the council, saved the king's life. That the one night that the king needed to have insomnia in order to save Mordecai's life, that's how it unfolded. And I looked out the window and I saw the Jews celebrating and I panned across the street and I saw Haman hanging from the gallows and I thought to myself, how amazing that all these coincidences just seemed to work together. And I came up with one conclusion. Those Jews, they sure are lucky. Lucky or God's hand at work. A series of coincidences or the providence of God in action. That is for you to decide. Now, to the God who never slumbers, never sleeps. To the God who knows you're coming in and you're going out. To the God who hovers around you to preserve you from harm and to give you the future he's planned for you. To our great and good God, be glory and praise forever. Amen and amen.
Matthew 16, 24 simply says, we're, I lost it, sorry. Anyhow, our hymn invitation this morning is where he leads, I will follow. Won't you stand with me this morning? I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior. 